welcome to Rock Strikes 10, the show guaranteed to always give you 10 songs, no more, no less. My name is Joey. My name is Nola. Yes, it is time for part three of Too Much Kiss. How are you doing so far? I'm doing okay. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not completely kissed out, and I'm not wanting to throw people overboard. Yes, that's so, good, yeah. absolutely. I could tell you're definitely ready for part three here. You got your uh, fox slippers on there. And uh, good for Eric Carr, the fox. Yeah. Badger? <laughs> or well, he doesn't you said a skunk one time? Yeah, he, he either looks like a skunk or a badger. <laughs> because That's he doesn't have whiskers, and I realize that he can't really do the whiskers, because then he'll be all like, Bruh, you're just ripped off Peter even more. Yeah. But couldn't, couldn't win for trying, right? Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, it's... It's missing something in the in the mouth cheek area. Yeah, I suppose so, but they didn't have time to worry about refining it because there was only two tours that Eric did in makeup, one in the United States. They did Creatures of the Night, and even though you heard that at the end of the show on part two, even then, that album was just as big of a bomb as The Elder was from a That's sales point of view. That's unfortunate. Yeah, from a sales point of view, they just weren't recovering at all. But to be fair, if Kiss had just put out The Elder, would you really buy the next thing that they put out? Yeah, they, they hadn't regained the trust of the fans or even just the regular fans, which makes a lot of difference. <laughs> because it's one thing, selling to your hardcore fans is, of course, a must. But you have to get the regular people in there, too, or else it just isn't going to be the huge hit you want it to be. Uh, that was the case. Like, all the Fairweather fans were gone. They weren't putting out any radio hits. Um, it's, it's weird, because they weren't, they weren't so poppy, but they weren't so heavy. They were very stuck in the middle, and they were outcasts because of the makeup and all the merchandising and all that stuff. So what did they do? They really wiped the slate clean. 1983 comes around, and Paul was like, I wanted to do this the year before, but... They always knew they could and get attention for doing it. It was a very smart decision. They took the makeup off. So do you, do you think it was an improvement, uh, you know, on this, an aesthetic level? <laughs> so, uh, some For some and not for others. Yeah, right? it it definitely is it's better that, that Eric's not in the makeup. So you want, you're, you're going the cheap trick method, I guess, for this. So you got... if. if if it was you, Look It Up would be like Eric and Paul on the cover and then Gene and Vinny on the back cover, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I would do. Well, Paul knows he's pretty. I mean, that was his hand on Elder. Yeah. <laughs> Paul's got nice hands. Paul's got a nice yeah. face. I think he's is he wearing a Rolex there on the cover? I'm sure he is. That's <laughs> like right. I like that he, like, points at his hand down to his crotch. <laughs> yeah. That's a very Gene move. Yeah. I, and I had heard uh, they never took a photo like this, but in the photo session for the album cover of Lick It Up, they did have the makeup. They did pack it for the day. and They, they just, had it on standby. Just in case. So well, You never know what's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I never knew there was a woman in Kiss. Okay, never mind. That was a Vinnie Vincent <laughs> joke, of course. So. Oh, poor Vinnie. Yeah, well, you know. Uh, Vinny, I think he co-wrote like every song on the album. If I'm not mistaken, let's get it out of here. One, two, three, four, five. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. He co-wrote no. eight out of ten songs on here. He yeah. didn't. Uh, Gene uh, wrote Fits Like a Glove and Dance All Over Your Face exclusively, but every other song on the album was co-written by Vinnie Vincent, whether it was with Gene or Paul. So, pretty cool. And this album, 
Uh, like Paul said, proof that people do listen with their eyes a lot of the time and not their ears, because he says that Lick It Up isn't as good as Creatures, but since it was proof positive that everybody was just kind of tired of the makeup and they needed something new, Lick It Up was the solution. They quadrupled their sales going into this, so... and then To be the, fair, the quadrupling like 100 sales is only 400 sales. Right. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yeah, I, had, no. I had to throw that jab in. It's okay. They <laughs> went from not breaking half a mil to, you know, a couple of mil, a two, three, you know, something like that. It did really well. MTV got into Kiss Business. They broadcast their first ever appearance without the makeup. So that was a big deal. And when you... You know, it doesn't seem as important now, but if you like a lot of you that have like VH1 Classic, if they show the Lick It Up video, keep in mind when you see their feet walking down the street, that was the tease right there. It's like, we're going to show them without makeup. And then finally, when the chorus hits, there they are. So, so they do the video without the makeup for the first time. They do the big MTV interview with JJ Jackson. Very cool moment. And, uh, you know, uh, it, it was cool. It, it was. I didn't experience it myself, but seeing the footage, I realized how important it was. And it's a, uh, It was a big moment in history. Absolutely. There you go. <laughs> Spoken like a fan. <laughs> Love it. Um, we have some fun songs to play off this album. And, and you know, like I said, listening with just your ears here on Rock Strikes 10, you're not going to hear much of a difference sonically with Creatures of the Night. So if you remember what they sounded like, so if you remember what they sounded like on the previous episode, then it's not going to sound like much of a difference at all. So uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Why don't we kick things off here tonight uh, with the track you picked, Nola? I picked the title track off of Lick It Up. Lick It Up. Awesome. Yeah, good time. And no matter how many times they hear it, it's still a fun song. Oh, it's so much fun. Yes. And uh, I hope if, if if they play it on the cruise, I hope they add in the... Uh, the section they've been doing over the last few years where they uh, throw in the Who's Won't Get Fooled again at the very end of it and then they go right back into the song again for the last course. Let's hope, because I didn't get to see the Alive 35 tour. It's okay, I didn't either. Yeah, it's alright. It's quite alright. And uh, <laughs> after Look It Up, you're going to hear uh, a song that was in, a staple in their concerts in the 80s. I wish they would bring this one back. Maybe I'm getting my wish as we speak. But a classic, great Gene song. A solo Gene song. Yes. No uh, Vinny Vincent co-write on this one. Exactly. Uh, a great song. Tons of sex. Of course, you wouldn't expect anything less from Gene. Do you think Gene was worried if they would recognize him for the Lick It Up cover? Is that why he... That's why he stuck out his tongue. Exactly, yeah. So It's like, I gotta make sure that they know which one I am. Exactly. And hey, <laughs> Lick It Up. I got my tongue out. It makes yeah. sense. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Your Gene impressions are so fun. We'll, we'll get a video up of that. Yes, perhaps. <laughs> Until then, this is Lick It Up and Fits Like a Glove. <laughs>
Ride from 1983. I don't remember much about that year. I was four. But there you go. That was Lick It Up and Fits Like a Glove, full of such classic genisms as when I go through her, it's just like a hot knife through butter. Yes. All right. Tons of fun. There you go. That that if you slow that one down, that could be an ACDC song, but I digress. Uh, moving on, like I said, they, they got a little bit of their fame back. They weren't quite, you know, massive rock stars again, but they were, you know, enough to where they could play nice nice sized places and, and be on TV every now and then, and it's totally cool. They have totally... Uh, but but the problem was they kind of became followers instead of leaders. You know, all the Sunset Strip bands like Van Halen and Motley Crue were dressing like this, and they kind of had to follow along with it to get any kind of TV or radio play. But, hey, there you go. You know, it's the breaks, right? It's fashion. Oh, oh darn. We have to look at Paul Stanley in, in tight pants. Dang. <laughs> well, that that's what you're saying. You know, you know I have to deal with all the spandex and him There's wiggling his butt wrong in front with of spandex. the camera. Yeah. <laughs> Says you. <laughs> and, uh, you know, even though they were releasing an album every six months in the 70s, uh, they didn't really lose their work ethic in the 80s. I think that was more so a label-slash-business decision. But they managed to put out an album pretty much every year in the 80s. So by the next year, they're already putting out Animal Eyes, which uh, I always love getting the vinyl out. You know, it's always a good uh, visual thing. So... Animal Eyes with the furry animal pelt collage on the cover. And uh, there you go. And I always think it's funny now we now know that Gene Simmons is wearing a rug on all of the pictures <laughs> because he had cut his hair really short for his movie role in Runaway. Well, he, he had Lando hair. Yeah, with less, the quaff. Yeah, that quaff that he had. Yeah, absolutely. He did look like Lando. You nailed it, by the way. <laughs> like looking at his... Yes, uh, go, go look at Lando... Cal Rizian? Did I pronounce that right? Yes, you did. Yay. That's that's how little I know about the star universes. Yeah. If you look yeah. up Gene Simmons' photo from the Killers era, and then also look at Lando Cal Rizian's hair, yeah, you, you pretty much got it. So exactly. there you go, people. Yeah, so uh, one thing it did, they were able to keep the momentum going from Lick It Up. Animalize, they had a, a even bigger radio and MTV hit with Heavens on Fire. That was... Massive, massive for them is uh, and I believe that's the one you picked, that, that, isn't it? That is my pick. It is. It's fun. Yeah, ab- absolutely. The the, the Dang breaths. It kiss. It's so fun. Yeah, the breaths with the drum beat and uh, all that stuff. Uh, fun video too. Uh, co-written uh, by Desmond Child with Paul Stanley. Desmond Child, Mr. Song, you know, like. Late 70s all the way through the 80s. This guy, go look up Desmond Child on Wikipedia and you will find matches to hits you all know. Starting with Kisses, I Was Made for Loving You. And it goes into stuff like the Aerosmith comeback songs, songs that Bon Jovi did on Slippery When Wet in New Jersey. Uh, Just the guy, he even freaking wrote Live in La Vida Loca. I mean, the guy is a hit well, that's machine. unfortunate, but... <laughs> but it was a huge hit, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, we're, there are times in Target, we are still singing La Vida Loco. Yeah. Well, I am. Yeah, it just it And you're just, just walking away as quickly as you can from me. <laughs> yes. I am right, though. He did co-write Heavens on Fire, correct? Yes, yes, he did. He, right. uh, he co-wrote three songs on this album. Ooh, which ones? Um, he had I've Had Enough. 
into the fire. Okay. Then That's interesting. Okay. Heaven's on fire. And Under the Gun. Nice. And the other two were like speed metal songs uh, by comparison to Heaven's on Fire. So it's interesting that he wrote those songs with Paul. The one I picked was a co-write between Paul Stanley and Jean Bouvois, who definitely is a member of the family. Not only did Jean Bouvois, he toured with Kiss on the Creatures of the Night tour because the main opening act throughout the tour pretty much was the Plasmatics. And he was the bass player in the Plasmatics, along with Wendy O. Williams and Rod Swenson. And I guess that's how he became friends with Gene and Paul. And, you know, Gene wind up producing Wendy O. Williams' solo album, stuff like that. So there's a lot of great family tree tie-ins to Kiss and the Plasmatics. And then Paul was like, it was fun whenever me and Jean went out on the town, because you have me, and then you have a man with a black man with a white mohawk. <laughs> and so that was a nice get-up contrast there. You know, they had their uh, different ladies they could pursue. <laughs> like, I don't know what I'm, where I'm going with that, but it, it, can you imagine the visual of those two guys I, out on the town? <laughs> no. Yeah. I think anyone that would know who those two were <laughs> would be so awestruck, and if you didn't know who they were, you would probably be like, oh, they make a cute couple. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. And uh, the role that Jean plays is even bigger than you would think, not just co-writing a song like the one I'm picking here, but the fact that pretty much on, I venture to say, between six and seven out of nine songs, he plays bass in place of Gene Simmons on this entire album. Well, it looks like Gene has a cast on his hand, looking at the... <laughs> oh, yeah, the cowl look, thing that he looking has. Looking at that animal pelt that's wrapped up all on on his, wrist, on his yeah. left hand. Yeah. It, so, I don't know. Maybe, yeah. maybe he was injured and they're covering up a cast. Maybe so. But Paul produced this entire album himself. The executive producer, credit for Gene Simmons, is merely just an honorary one. Uh, so, here we go. These are our two songs from Animalize, Heaven's on Fire and Thrills in the Night. Thanks. Is that good? <laughs>
That was the band of the hour, Kiss, with Heavens on Fire and Thrills in the Night, which I always considered Thrills in the Night, and this is very nerdy of me to say, a sequel to the song She, because it's about a girl who almost seems kind of proper during the day, but at night she turns into a bad girl, possibly a call girl. Or Or a street walker. Or a street walker, just in general. Just walking the streets that way. Never know. But that that's the impression I always got out of it, was this was a sequel to She. So, who knows? If you never thought that and you had a big wow moment right there, let me know. Joey at cnjradio.com. Now, it's funny. This is very much uh, the next album we're talking about here, 1985's Asylum, which it's hard for me to not stare at the photo collage in the sleep of the vinyl because it's kind of distracting. And even Bruce is trying to pull off male model poses, which is really off-putting. <laughs> but Asylum... I gotta say... Wow, Bruce does two poses. Yeah. No, no, Bruce does one pose. Yeah. And he he merely tilts his head. Yeah. And Gene's poses in the the sleeve are very like, I'm David Copperfield. Or uh, (laughs) or, or the 
dancer guys that have like the puffy sleeves oh, yeah, and the yeah. maracas. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. What are the Gene just had a horrible decade. Uh, you know, if the I, 80s if I may were play, not kind to Gene. Yeah. If I may play a little fashion plate, or we have a little Joan Rivers hour here. Gene just. It's no secret, Gene had a horrible go at it in the 80s from a KISS point of view. He didn't get any singles after I Live It Loud, and rightfully so. Paul was <laughs> the songwriting machine and MVP easily of the 80s, if not the entire band's career. And, you know, Gene puts a few songs here and there, it'll it'll do. You know, that's basically how they were doing it. I mean... That'll do, Gene. Yeah, I'm sure Paul was writing the better material 10 out of 10 times, but it's like, well, we got to have some Gene songs on there, otherwise people are going to think something's up. Mm-hmm. And they would have been right. Uh, their relationship was strained, the whole deal. But uh, the two songs that we picked off here... Oh, and the thing I was going to say before I got on the <laughs> fashion tangent, this album comes out in 85. You're You're just about to come around the bend here. Yeah, I'm being conceived and developing. Yeah. In my mommy's tummy. There you go. And I gotta say, this is where I came in. I know a lot of hardcore fans that put this album really close to the bottom of their list. And I can understand it, especially if you came in through the 70s with it. But I love this album. On principle, I love this album because this is it. This is where I started. This is where I became a fan. I saw Tears Are Falling on Richard's... uh, I went to my friend Richard's house and saw Tears Are Falling on Dial MTV, and that was it. I was in. I was hooked. You know, uh, and he liked them too. What, what are you pointing at here on the? Uh, so, <laughs> so while you're talking, I'm reading like all the all the liner notes. Yeah. And uh, and on the thanks, the first people that they thank are the women at Electric Lady who know what we like. Wow. So that's the studio they record at Electric Lady Studios in New York City. Hmm, receptionists maybe, or uh, I don't know, just general assistants. Uh, do you think they kept women around to hang out know. with the it's, band? Or is it like a recording studio, yeah. like up top, and then on the bottom, it's like the red light district? Ooh, I don't shops? know. I never got to visit Electric Lady. I don't think it's even there anymore, or they're preserving it or something. But I don't know. That that would be a fun question. Yeah. I miss all these old liner notes in the vinyl. <laughs> you really could pay attention if the font's really big. I remember um, this is kind of the same thing. The same year this album came out was when Motley Crue's Theater of Pain came out. And uh, in their liner notes on Theater of Pain, it says uh, they put their P.O. box on there. And it uh, said, uh, send us photos. You know what kind we like. They got thousands of Polaroids of naked women. Oh, I'm just, sure. Just by doing that. Um, yeah. Sure they did. So Sorry, tangent. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> Sticking to 1985, I thought that was apropos. Uh, I talked about Tears Are Falling. Great song. Love a song. I hope we're listening to it currently on the cruise multiple times. Uh, there were two other singles released on Asylum, 1985, that I really, really like. So basically, I just said, Nola, I know you're stuck between these two songs. You pick one, I'll pick the other, and that'll be it. I picked Who Wants to Be Lonely. I, I like that song a lot. I think it's just really catchy. And here's another really fun, nerdy fact that I'm going to throw down here. We talked about Jean Beauvoir on the previous tracks that we played from Animalize. If you'll notice, both songs that we picked were written both by not only Paul Stanley, Desmond Child, and Jean Beauvoir wrote both of these songs. So there you go. How cool is that? Jean once again playing bass on the track that Nola picked. Don't keep him in suspension any longer. When you work all day, you got to... Uh, all night. Yeah, absolutely. I am. 
a good I, I like that we picked these two tracks because I feel like when you listen to these back to back, it's it's almost as if it tells a story. Because, you know, who wants to be lonely? Keep waiting for something called love. Then mm. when you find it, you uh all night. There you go. That's beautiful. See, this is why I'm hanging on to this one. <laughs> so, yeah, this is going to be fun. Enjoy this one with us. The twofer from Asylum. Who wants to be lonely? And... Uh. All night.
All right, everybody out there, that was Kiss from the Asylum album with Who Wants to Be Lonely and Uh All Night. We got to do that every time. I'm not thrusting my hips when I do that. I promise everybody out there that I am not doing that. I am. <laughs> okay, are you ready for this one? We had a couple of sexy time songs here. Uh, I'm going to get really super-duper geeky with you here, Nola. We're not done with Asylum Oh, yet. are we not done with Asylum? No, I thought we were moving on. No, we're not. We're just about to. Okay. But, uh, you know, I'm not doing this just to prove I'm the alpha or anything. This is really just more so a sad state of affairs that I know this. And, you know, it's been mentioned over the years by KISS fans now. But I wonder who originally really got this. That their lip colors are their power colors? Exactly. And I'm sure some of the longtime fans really had a problem with that, putting them on the replacements. But uh, Fuck those guys. Wait, when... can I say fuck on the air? Yes, you can. Yeah. We have an explicit tag for a reason, just there we in go. case. Fuck those guys. What do you think of that? Do you, did you, when did you first notice that? How did... Uh... Yeah, I've just... I don't know. It's just there, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Okay. It's just there, and then you kind of... If you don't look at it, you're like, oh, it's like a Warhol painting or something. And then, yeah. then you look at it more, and you're like, oh, wait, their faces are different. And then you look at it more, and you're like, oh, all their lip color is different. And then you go back, and you look at other stuff, and you're like, oh, hey, those colors kind of match up. Yep, their solo, solo album power colors. And, uh, yeah, which so, is weird, because uh, Eric already had a power color. I thought that was kind of weird that they went with the Peter Green and not his uh, orange. Like he originally had. See, I, I have to keep trying to out-geek you. I mean, you, you really showed me up on this segment, so uh, I, I, I'm lost. I don't know what else to do now. I didn't know that Eric's power color was orange. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, it makes sense since yeah. he's the fox, but, you know. Yeah, they had a lot of orange pelts on when he first uh, had that fox costume on. So. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I have no more Is vinyl. that orange around his eyes, or is it black? We're looking at this big conglomerate poster. Mm-hmm. That we've gotten the yeah, it's like brown. Is it brown? Yeah, it's brownish orange. Well, it's, sh- like, it's like cider colors. Is it like burnt sienna? Burnt sienna, yes. Is it's, it Pueblo? His power color was burnt sienna and a mixture of that and band-aid color. And band-aid flesh. All right. Uh, an album that they waited, uh, an album that basically they took a whole year off to make because they really wanted to get Ron Nevison to produce it because Ron Nevison was responsible for revitalizing the career of Hart and had a hit record with Ozzy uh, right before this. So they were like, well, we want this guy because he seems to have the current Midas touch and he has the sound that radio and MTV are really looking for. So they were really trying to sell out as hard as they could, you know. Well, they wanted to get back on top. It's not exactly. selling out if you've already been there. Yeah, it's true. It's like just like we need to get our piece back. So I, I need to claim what is rightfully ours. Yeah, and Gene was like, it was really frustrating because I looked horrible without makeup, and I had to watch all these bands like Bon Jovi and Poison, who were better looking and thinner than I was, and you know that was a, was a big issue. Well, maybe maybe walk around the block, Gene. Yeah, yeah maybe <laughs> go take a walk around the block a couple of times, yeah. but um. But I was I, just going to say, was do you think any of it had to do with the fact that Kiss at this time is all dark-haired, kind of kind of New York-looking boys and all those other guys? I know Bon Jovi's from Jersey, yeah. and, and Ricky's dark-haired, but yeah. but they're blonde, and they look 
they look young and fresh. And yeah. and they adopted the Van Halen method of teeth. Yeah. The teeth metal, the, the bands that smiled a lot. And yeah. Kiss really is still kind of scowling a yeah. little bit, you know. Maybe that had something to do with it. I don't know. That's I know if I look at a lineup of Van Halen from... The, the from early from what from yeah. what year are we in now? Eighty four, eighty five. Uh, we're up to nineteen eighty seven. Oh, oh man, I I zonked out. So you know, but if I look at a lineup from eighty seven of Van Halen and Kiss, just on a pure, which one of these groups of men am I going to go look at and give my money to? Right. I'm gonna pick Van Halen. Yeah, even with Sammy, and Sammy knows how to have a good time, you know. So he's smiling yeah. a lot, and they just. Yeah, it's just one of those things that, like, this tour, Kiss got a lot of flack. And I think uh, Todd Cunningham out there, I think he said he went to this tour for Crazy Nights. And uh, he said they, I think I think he said he liked the show, but I remember him talking about saying that they kind of mailed it in a little bit on this on this tour. This is yeah. the only time they got a lot of flack for not being as great live as you know they could be. Well, I just, I can't imagine, like, Gene spitting blood, oh, like, he... without having makeup on. Yeah, he never did. Yeah. So I'm yeah, like exactly. they're they're missing that big like stage presence. Yeah. I'm sure you know, Paul can still fly out into the crowd, but I don't see Gene yeah. not donning his demon costume and like flying up to the rafters. Yeah, he just did the fire breathing bit. He, he carried yeah. that over but that was it. And even then people were like, It's kinda weird because It's he, kinda cause... weird seeing this normal looking guy do this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, Eric Carr and Bruce Kulick still keeping the band together very well, Paul being the leader and everything. And despite the, the thin, poppy production of Ron Nevison, and like I said, this is where I'm still a new Kiss fan, so I'm loving the shit out of this stuff. I mean, <laughs> even now, I still love it. And it's because uh, the first three singles, uh, the three singles they released off of this album, Crazy Crazy Nights, Reason to Live, and Turn on the Night, were all huge on Dial MTV. So I'd get home from school every day, get ready for the top ten videos of the day, and these songs were ruling the second half of 1987. So I was so in to Kiss when this album was going on. So I love these songs still for that reason, and they made me the fan I am today. So I will forever be indebted to albums like Asylum and Crazy Nights. So sorry if they're not your favorite Kiss albums. And sorry if these are totally torturous for the non-Kiss fans, but we're going to play them anyway. Nola, what did you choose for Crazy Nights? For Crazy Nights, I chose Crazy, Crazy Nights. Yeah, because you got to, like, pump the single up right on steroids there. Yeah. Greatness. Uh, the single didn't do great in America, but it did great in Europe because of it reminded... Of course it did. <laughs> and you know why? They attributed it to the fact that this song completely reminded the European audiences of Slade. So of course it did. Very Slade esque. So there you go. There's something to grab onto for the non-Kiss fan. I picked a song that I'm gonna tell you who wrote this song with Paul after we play it because I want you to actually enjoy the song if you wind up liking it. It's not as bad as Bolton, but you may think so after I tell you. So here we go. This is Kiss from 1987's Crazy Nights album with Crazy Crazy Nights and Turn On the Night. Woo!
Alright, that was crazy, 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 crazy nights. And turn on the night. And we're doing this podcast at night. Anything else? No, okay, that's all I got. All comedy aside, I hope you enjoyed that uh, pop metal fantasticness. <laughs> Kiss-tabulous pop Kiss. metal. Nice. So Turn on the Night was a song written by Paul Stanley and his uh, new friend at the time, a lady by the name of Diane Warren. Uh, major music nerds will recognize that name, but I'll tell you who she is anyway. Diane Warren. Oh, she only wrote the two biggest songs of the 90s, arguably, especially in the last half of the 90s. She wrote Celine Dion's My Heart Will Go On from Titanic and Aerosmith's I Don't Want to Miss a Thing from Armageddon. So if you had a schmaltzy... If you had a girlfriend, (laughs) you heard these songs. Yeah. And you know you couldn't these are you couldn't escape these songs. I mean, everywhere the grocery store, TV, TV commercials. You know, there was just, these songs were effing everywhere. She's written tons of other songs, but those are the songs that will be those, etched those on her Those are tombstone. her money makers. Oh yeah, yeah. And she doesn't have to work anymore. But just getting a few kiss residuals just for writing that one song, you know, that still sells pretty well. Uh, and Paul Stanley will always tell you, I mean, he kind of gave her an initial break here. He says, I knew Diane Warren before she was Diane Warren in big letters. So there you go. Uh, it's weird, the parts that some people play in people's careers. So there you go, Paul Stanley helping out Diane Warren there, getting her name out there. Crazy. Crazy nights? Yes, exactly. <laughs> All right. And after Crazy Nights... It wasn't the runaway hit they really wanted it to be. Like I said, it did well overseas. They did the Monsters of Rock tour. And here's something that was really sobering for them, I bet. It was really cool to get on the Monsters of Rock tour in Europe at the time, because that was the thing out there. But here's something funny. In 1980, a little-known band, at least all over the world, they had gained a local following in in England. A band by the name of Iron Maiden was putting out their first full-length album. And they opened most of the Unmasked tour for KISS, especially near their neck of the woods. And went over very well, and went on to become massive worldwide superstars of metal in the 80s. Fast forward to 1987, 1988, Crazy Nights tour, KISS gets the Monsters of Rock tour, which I believe the first time they ever played it, too. And they're on the bill with uh, these upstarts from America named Guns N' Roses, who play really early on in the bill. Uh, David Lee Roth, who uh, Gene Simmons helped his original band out early on. Uh, You know, cool bands like that. Iron Maiden headlines over KISS for this entire tour. So Iron Maiden becomes the only band in history to open up for them and headline over them later. That's it. They're the only band that ever did it. Kiss did that with a few bands, but yeah. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Early on, you're absolutely <laughs> right. You remember the the main one? It was um, a year later. Blue Oyster Cult. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Look at you going the showcase showdown. <laughs> Hooray! Yeah, it was like um, a year to the day they had opened for Blue Oyster Cult, then headlined over them a year after, mm-hmm. something to that effect. Mm-hmm. So it had to be that had to be kind of an eye opener because they're they're still in not the best financial shape. They're like, they had to realize, wait, these guys opened for us seven years ago, and now they're playing over us and doing amazing. 
So it was like, well, maybe this pop thing really isn't for us. It took him a few albums to figure out that may- maybe they could... Maybe we're not that good looking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you have to be <laughs> great looking. So they decided to go kind of back to their basics, but ended up with an album that sounded very similar to some of the other ones. So, and uh, But they still managed to stay kind of pigeonholed into the hard pop aspect. Uh, the 80s are still in effect, and it's got that 80s sound to it still. It's a little more raw than the other albums, but you, you'll notice that it's not the biggest contrast yeah. to what they were probably looking for. We're getting there, slowly. We're yeah. getting there. It's a slow build. So we're going to end part three of Kistery, Too Much Kiss, Rock Strikes 10 specials here with Hot in the Shade. I have another soft spot because, like I said, first time I ever saw them was the Hot in the Shade tour. Uh, they had a their second biggest single of all time is off of this album, Forever, which Paul co-wrote with Michael Bolton. Yes, oh. the Bolt Man. <laughs> and, you know, it's one of those things like Kiss fans and even rock fans, when they came out, they're like, oh, that, yeah, I really like that song. It's a great ballad. Then they find out that Bolt wrote, they're like, oh, I never liked the song. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. <laughs> sure. Sure you did. Anyway, um, and from what I could tell just by hanging out with you a lot, which I love doing. This song is kind of turned into one of your favorite Kiss songs, if I'm not mistaken. This this is definitely my my top favorite Kiss songs. I can't even rank them. Zero. Yeah, I, I don't do it. I've never done that before. Yeah. So I don't think I ever will. Who knows? Yeah. That's another show. Yeah. But, um, but the, <laughs> this That's... is so fun. This, yeah. I, I say that a lot about my picks, but my picks are fun. They are. Uh, And I I love them. The song I chose is Hide Your Heart. It is a serious song with not-so-serious sound. Exactly. Yeah, you nailed it. Does that make sense? Absolutely, it does. Kind of like a... It's got some heavy chords in there, but it's still got that kind of bouncy rhythm section Yeah, that catchy rhythm. Yeah, exactly. But um, it's a song about a love triangle gone wrong, and it's, it's just doesn't come up too much in yeah. regular pop music, does it? Yeah, not not so much. Not in not in this way. This, this video had a couple of edits to it. I learned from you. Yeah, because I have those um, nerdy facts always. But it, but it's fun to hear things like that. It uh, it, they um, yeah, it's a it's a gun violence kind of PSA in yeah. there at the end that they got cut off. So, yeah, and the uh, song was written by uh, a team that has been used many times here, especially on this part of the series. Paul Stanley, Desmond Child, which explains a lot of the catchiness, but a ringer also in there, uh, someone by the name of Holly Knight, and this is a fun tie-in for us. Uh, Holly Knight actually co-wrote uh, quite a few Kiss songs, and almost as important to us, uh, co-wrote or I think just wrote the theme song to Angel the television series <laughs> <laughs> so good times and hey it's about violence in southern los angeles just Ooh. like the show angel is taking place in there you go look what i do i i'll nerd it all night i think joss whedon's a kiss fan <laughs> there you go I, well let's hope he is he's a cool enough guy he should be a kiss yeah. fan he's definitely nerdy enough he fits the bill uh but until then we're gonna listen to hide your heart from hot in the shade and one of my personal favorite obscure freaking nerd boy geeky album tracks is a song called king of hearts and i think this is just one of those songs i'm like how is this not the follow-up single to forever should have been 
could have capitalized, got some more rock fans in there. You know, they used Rise to It as the third single, and I really, really like Rise to It. Rise but, to It's fun. Oh, it's a very fun song, and I almost picked that, but I said, you know what, for Hot in the Shade, I think people need to discover King of Hearts, so I'm going to go with that. So here you go. Here is Hide Your Heart and King, King of, of Hearts. Hearts.
Alright, closing out part three of Too Much Kiss here on Rock Strikes 10. That is Hide Your Heart and King of Hearts. You realize we just did that on Crazy Nights too, right? Both songs had the word night in it. Wow. And then we did a heart double shot. So wow. isn't, isn't that odd? That's awkward. We didn't play it that way either. Yes, we did. So, yeah. <laughs> We so did. We're not as calculating as Gene and Paul. Are, aren't we? Aren't I? Well, I know you, at least you're way better looking. So. Yay. Yeah. But am I better looking than Vinny? <laughs> <laughs> am I prettier than Vinny? Am I prettier than Eric Singer? That's a question you have to answer. This is... Alright, it's getting weird. Alright. So, want to <laughs> thank everybody for tuning into the show here. We should be, this is part three of what should be a week, week and a half series now, so, you know, I hope you're okay with all of this kiss, but like I said, just treat it as one huge long episode, you'll be just fine. Everybody's got to go through this at one point in their life. If you're a music fan, you know, we were having that conversation, remember with Roy? Yeah, on the way back, or on the way to Oklahoma City. Yeah, and Roy was like, I gotta tell you this story, and I actually cut him off when he tried to tell me a few weeks before. But I said, he's like, I got a kiss story to tell you. And I go, well, you know what? Save, save it. Save it for the trip. So he starts talking to us, and he says, you know, I've never been in the kiss world. Like, he's like, I want to be. So he took it upon himself to sit down. with. He went through all the studio albums, just like we're doing here on Rock Strikes 10. He says, and I got to tell you, he's like, I'm just not a fan. <laughs> I just can't do it. He can't do it. And he his, wants to be a part of it, and yeah. that's honorable. Yeah, he's even seen them live. He loves the stage show. Yeah, he appreciates he just, them for what they are, for what he appreciates them for what they are yeah. and what they do. Yeah, and I almost wanted to tell him he doesn't like them for the for all the wrong reasons because he basically was saying that he couldn't get past how bad some of the lyrics were. But that's what Kiss is. Yeah, and and you know what? I got it. She's a dancer, a romancer. <laughs> I'm a Capricorn and she's a Cancer. How do you not just yeah. fall in love with those horrible lyrics? Yes. Oh, and let's let's harken back to a moment that is apropos to part three of Kistory. Going back to the Animalized album from 1984, the great Gene Simmons with lyrics such as, and you hardcore fans are know where I'm going with this, you got nasty habits, it's a fine line. So many girls and so little time. When love rears its head, I want to get on your case. Ooh, baby, want to put my log in your fireplace. Yes, all right. So, Are we know, really going to have a battle of lyrics right now? No, Masterpiece Theater is over for the night. I'm, I'm, I'm stopping it right now. <laughs> so thanks a lot for tuning in to part three of this episode. We will be back for one more part. And it gets really weird and interesting and fun and less 80s that's for sure so tune in for part four of too much kiss on our voyage back home about that time we're enjoying the hell out of our lives right now those of you out there go do something fun with your significant other or soon to be significant other uh just just make the most of your day and your life so that that's my Heavy message to you guys going out here on part three, because this was a this was a fun show. It's this was full a of fun show. Positive and fun pop songs, pretty much all about doing it. I I hate that this is probably my favorite part 
of these four parts, and I feel like it's because I'm a girl that's kind of on the outer realms of the bubble. No, don't and, don't don't feel bad because like I said, this just, is where I came in, and it's fun. It's great. This like this is all the things that I love about Kiss. It's catchy and it's poppy and it's in your face. Yeah. And whether or not that's a good thing or not, they own it. Exactly. And I'm one of those fans that wishes they wouldn't disassociate so much 80s stuff from their history because I think it's an important part of it and they wouldn't be where they are today if they hadn't gone through all this. Mm -hmm. So, everybody else, thanks a lot for tuning in. Go to cnjradio.com for all the links. Twitter, Facebook. I've talked long enough. Let's get on to part four, okay, baby? Okay. Let's right. go. Parting words? Um, if you go mini-golfing with anybody that you like, wear good shoes or you'll fall in the bushes. Sounds good. That's good advice. Yeah. I can attest to that. Quiet you. Good night. Have fun. It's over right now. Come on, come on. Crave your 